You are listening to the Krika Lecture Series podcast, produced by the Center for Russia, East Europe, and Central Asia at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This and other Krika podcasts are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. For more information about Krika's lecture series and public events, visit our website at krika.wisc.edu. Again, and welcome back to the Central Eurasian Studies Summer Institute Lecture Series. It's my pleasure to welcome back to Madison um, Alexei Troshev, Associate Professor of Political Science and International Relations at Nazarbayev University in Astana, Kazakhstan. Um, Professor Troshev holds a PhD in Political Science from the University of Toronto. Uh, his latest publications include Kazakhstan, the State of Non-Democracy, which was published in the 2017 Global Review of Constitutional Law, as well as the book chapter, Transitional Justice Attempts in Kazakhstan, which is in the edited volume, um, Transitional Justice and the Former Soviet Union. Um, I believe he is starting a new research project entitled In the Gulag's Shadow, um, Producing, Consuming, and Perceiving Prisons in the Former Soviet Union, which is in cooperation with the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow and the Higher School of Economics in Moscow. So, and today, Professor Churchev will be speaking about the contradictions and paradoxes of the criminal justice system in contemporary Kazakhstan. Please join me in welcoming <laughs> Professor Churchev. Thank you, Thank you. Um, So today I'd like to talk to you about interesting things, uh, what I find interesting uh, about Kazakhstan. And um, as you can see from the title, one paradoxical or interesting thing is already obvious, is about uh, choosing for a police state, for authoritarian regime, choosing to put fewer people in jail or in prison, which is already kind of surprising. And then the second... Uh, more interesting part is about how these attempts uh, contribute or reinforce uh, social uh, inequality. Today, Kazakhstan uh, is mourning uh, the death of its famous uh, figure skater, a Korean Kazakh, uh, Denis Ten, who was stabbed to death while trying to, while, while confronting uh, two uh, car thieves. He was rushed to the hospital, but the doctors could not save uh, his life. And so this is the picture from the funeral where many people uh, attended it uh, in Almaty and more and more people are demanding uh, to reform the law enforcement system, to fire the uh, minister of interior, interior, to impose um, harsher punishments for uh, offenders, for criminals. And surprisingly, it's the state that's actually, oops, it doesn't show very well, but it's the state the, um, that's pushing liberalization of humanization of criminal uh, policy, arguing that we need to be uh, impose less harsher punishments for criminals, we should send um, punishment, uh, we should do something uh, other than incarceration uh, with them. So this is domestically, but internationally on the news, maybe you've heard or seen uh, on the news yesterday, uh, the trial of uh, ethnic Kazakh uh, woman who ran away, who fled from uh, China using uh, somebody else's travel documents. Um, and she, uh, she fled China in April, end of April. She was under one-day one visa, 
uh, which was which allowed her to enter Kazakhstan, and then she did not return. Chinese police uh, was alerted, um, and then Kazakh authorities arrested her in end of May uh, at her family home. So her family left China two years ago. She was not allowed to go because she was a state official, uh, teacher in uh, in a state school, and then in the internment centers in China. And luckily, I mean, the trial lasted two, uh, two weeks, and yesterday she was released. She was released um, on the basis of on compassionate grounds. So uh, Kazakhstan argued that under the Convention of the Rights of the Child, it would be, she had two children, uh, it would be, uh, it would violate Kazakhstani obligation under this convention, uh, and she was uh, not deported. The criminal code article under which she was found guilty, and she confessed right away that she was guilty in illegal uh, crossing, border crossing. The criminal code article said that the deportation was uh, mandatory in all these cases. And she was not deported based on these compassionate grounds of family reunification. Lawyers, whole lawyers argued for plea bargaining, but the Kazakhstani state could not tell China that we bargain with criminals. Uh, we allow any kind of uh, uh, reconciliation or negotiation. Kazakhstan, uh, whole lawyers argued that she should not be deported back to China because she would face, she would be considered as a traitor. Yeah? Uh, for releasing these secrets about internment centers uh, in China, um, and she would face the risk of death penalty. But of course, Kazakhstani authorities could not tell China that, that uh, we are not we are keeping her in Kazakhstan because you know you are torturing people or there is a death penalty. And so, criminal justice uh, reform or criminal justice issues are very urgent issues in Kazakhstan uh, in Kazakhstan today. And so I would like to uh, focus on these big uh, questions about transformation or adaptation or managing the contradictions between criminal justice reforms and legacies of the past or traditional uh, uh, mechanisms and procedures of uh, law enforcement system. I would also focus on this big question about why some legal reforms uh, fail while others uh, succeed and what does this all tell us about big uh, ish, uh, question of state and society uh, relations. So here I think that I hope that we learn uh, several lessons about how criminal punishments uh, reinforce or relate to uh, the social uh, inequality. So in Kazakhstan, what do we see is a very steady trend toward uh, declining prison population in Kazakhstan. So as you can see in, in Soviet, so the fall of Soviet Union, and now we see a very steady uh, and uh, dramatic decline in prison population, so these are all people who are held in jails and prisons at a given uh, moment. So usually it's beginning of the year, that's how it's counted. So if you look at uh, number of pretrial detainees, so people who are held in custody in jails before the trial, we also see a steady decline. Um, 
And if we look at the population rate, so this is the number of people held in jails and prisons per 100,000 national population, we also see a drastic decline. So this is the beginning of the fall of Soviet Union, uh, early 90s, and this is now. So again, we see a steady decline. So this is this is one of the uh, um, things of Kazakhstan is dis discussing now about closing uh, about eight prisons because they are empty. Yeah? Uh, it used to it used to host uh, about one one out of seven prisoners and former in Soviet Union was housed in uh, located in Kazakhstan, but now. Uh, not. So if you look at in comparison with countries in Asia, we look that Kazakhstan is somewhere in the middle. It's a little bit higher than Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, and Tajikistan, but they were always traditionally, even in Soviet time, they had lower uh, in, uh, prison population. Right? So Russia is somewhere between about 500 people. Um, the U USA, of course, is 800 something, so much, much higher. <laughs> um, so the challenge was for Kazakhstani policymakers was how to reduce, how did they achieve this reduction on prison population uh, in very unfavorable conditions. So first is they, Kazakhstani officials, insisted on registering all crimes. So it was clearly recognized that police is hiding crimes yeah? so to, uh, to boost the clearance rate. So if we look at this uh, graph, we see that huge uh, threefold decrease, uh, increase of registered crimes. So when, when people come to police and say, look, something has got stolen, or I, somebody beat me up, or there is that hooligan on the street that's bothering everyone. Yeah? So it creates a very strong expectation that state will be useful, or state will do something for the, uh, for the uh, citizens, for everyday people. Yeah. Okay. Then, if you look at the categories of crimes, we see that the actual, the actual rise is in uh, thefts, that's in the purple, and we see also rise in uh, fraud cases. So fraud is more difficult to punish and to detect and to prosecute. Yeah? Uh, but in terms of drug-related cases in blue, it's about the same. Robberies, uh, it's about the same. So the the, the, the figure skater, Denis Ten, who was stabbed to death, he would be the victim of of uh, of a robbery. Yeah? So this is basically economic types of uh, crimes that were that police used to hide. Now they uh, they register. Okay, so we have it, traditionally when you register. We encourage police to register all crimes. When you practice zero tolerance uh, policing, usually it increases population rate. So this happened in post-Soviet Georgia, for example, when under Sarkashvili. In Kazakhstan, as we saw, it declined. Um, in terms of zero tolerance policing, we also see the number of persons whose, whose participation in crime yeah, was established, and we see Again, so it's not only that the uh, number of registered crimes go up, but also the number of uh, convicts. Yeah? So convicted includes everyone whose youth has been established in court or, before, or prior to court. Yeah? 
So there is a person with criminal records. And we see this uh, increase. Okay? Yet we see this growing gap between the convicted persons, which is red, and the jump in registered crimes. So there is, we can see there are some kind of unmet expectations. Yeah? Crimes are so, so many crimes, but police is basically catching or detecting or solving. Yeah? The, the, the rise is not. Is not Finally, uh, Kazakhstan practices neo-inquisitorial Soviet-style criminal procedure, where basically police or detectives decide the future of the case. Yeah? If they have a person suspect, most likely this, this suspect is found guilty. Yeah? So this is the typical picture. If we look at the uh, police statistics, police per capita, yeah, we see um, per 100,000 population, we see Kazakhstan is, you know, the police state, there's too many policemen in Kazakhstan. Nobody uh, denies this. Judges, in turn, they remain junior partners. In other words, they simply, uh, basically rubber stamp uh, decisions made by detectives, investigators, and prosecutors. And so this is the picture, but it's from the Russian newspaper where judge and police uh, have very tight, friendly, amicable relationship, and it's uh, both formal and uh, informal. Judges also have pro-accusation bias, and before, uh, up, you know, before 2010, they preferred imprisonment as, um, uh, as, a, as a punishment. Um, acquittals or exonerations become uh, or remain as uh, a failure for all officials involved in criminal justice system. And if we look at these statistics, this is from uh, the for 2016, we see that probability, so in other words, the people who are suspects in crime or the accused of crimes, they basically have no choice. Yeah? They have no chance of <laughs> winning or being acquitted or exonerated either before trial by uh, investigators or prosecutors or at the trial stage, even less so. So this is another <laughs> picture from, uh, this is I think from Polish uh, newspaper. But the idea is that criminal justice system in Kazakhstan, just like uh, in Russia, it's a big uh, and very uh, rigid machine that produces, that tends to produce more and more uh, guilty uh, or criminal records or guilty uh, sentences. Okay? The example of jury trials in Kazakhstan also uh, shows this point. We see in, 20, in 2007 jury trials were introduced in Kazakhstan, but it's a mixed jury trial. There is a judge together with uh, jurors preside, uh, deliberates in the, in the deliberation room. Okay? So it's a mixed Jury, it's, let's say, mixed bench. Um, but we see the juries, uh, so if you just look at the yellow graph, we see that jury, uh, juries produce about a third of all acquittals in Kazakhstan. By 2014, in 2014, the uh, Kazakhstan 
Шах the jurisdiction of jury trials because they acquitted so many so often, you know, according to their standards. And as we can see then, eventually by 2015, jury uh, trials produce here very few cases and then they, they um, do, not, uh, do not acquit. Uh, again, it shows that the system that's tuned towards or biased towards uh, prosecution, towards accusation, cannot tolerate any kind of uh, uh, reform or introduction or transplant that would go against its uh, established practices and institutions. So this is an example from the uh, photo from 2014 in the West uh, Kazakhstan, in the city of Uralsk. Uh, by law, any acquittal made by jury can be appealed by the prosecution, <laughs> unlike in the US. And so there was a trial of a murder for which the same defendant, you know, they tried the same, there was a three jury trials and every trial uh, acquitted uh, this uh, defendant. And even President Nazarbayev, three years ago, uh, announced his ambitious program, 100 Steps, maybe you've heard about it, it's about modernization of a country, moving Kazakhstan, or prepare, making Kazakhstan prepared for a jump towards top 30 countries, top 30 economies in the world. And one of the steps was about expanding the use of jury trials, making them mandatory in certain cases, but law enforcement system simply ignores it. <laughs> Nobody mentions it any uh, longer because of its pro-acquittal, yeah? pro-acquittal uh, bias according to, the, according to their standards. And so how do you reduce prison population if law enforcement <coughs> officials are always right? In other words, if, if, you know, if a person goes free yeah, or acquitted or exonerated, that's the mistake or, short, or shortcoming of a work of prosecution. Yeah, it's not the prosecution. Uh, so Kazakhstan uh, law enforcement officials thought of these answers. So they decided that fewer criminal cases should reach the judge and fewer trials should reach sentencing stage if, if cases come to, uh, to the judges. Uh, so on one hand, they reduced discretion of law enforcement officials and required closing minor criminal cases like thefts, hooliganism, uh, another, um, simply closing. Yeah? So in other words, should not be, should not reach, uh, there should not be any sentence. And on the other hand, they expanded the discretion of judges and prosecutors to close criminal cases instead of sending them to the court or instead of uh, sentencing them. And so if we look at these statistics, at these two graphs, so the red graph is what I showed you about the number of all convicted yeah, people with criminal records for crimes, yet we see a growing gap with the number of those who are sentenced, who've been sentenced in Kazakhstan. So basically it's about a quarter it's about a quarter of people. So three quarters of offenders do not receive any sentence uh, in Kazakhstan. Okay, so again, so we saw the big gap between the number of registered crimes and the number of persons who've been established as offenders 
for criminals, yeah? And then this gap is again about persons are found, determined that they did the crime, they committed the crime, but they have not, they have not received any, any sentence. And so this, the big answer to this question is that Kazakhstan chose, unlike Russia or unlike uh, even Kyrgyzstan, is to let citizens to settle criminal disputes. In other words, to reconcile the accused or the defendant with the victim. In principle, or in theory, in, in the theory, this is uh, called rehabilitative um, uh, justice, where the victim is at the center of the criminal justice uh, mechanism. In, this is in principle. Yeah? In Kazakhstan, it took, uh, it took another form. And so it did not exist in Soviet uh, Union. Soviet criminal procedure did not allow any bargaining uh, formally. Uh, it works very well with all incentives of all parties involved. And it does not disrupt existing power relationship. State against society. So if a victim reconciles with the accused, the accused is still uh, keeps uh, the criminal record. Yeah? Uh, victim receives compensation. Uh, the accused, you know, facing 90%, 99% probability of being <laughs> sentenced, yeah, of course, chooses uh, to reconcile, to, so not to get to the sentence stage. Okay? And so within society, then, if it's about negotiation and bargaining, so people with higher status, social status, are more likely to win in these negotiations because they have connection, they have social capital, they have resources, they may have uh, uh, other advantages over those who are uh, weak and uh, disadvantaged. Yeah? So, in 1997, Criminal Code uh, introduced this procedure of reconciliation uh, uh, in criminal law of Kazakhstan, and so it gave a lot of discretion to judges or prosecutors. Yeah? It says, may be released. Okay. In 2005 years later, they expanded it and said, well, they expanded the number of, of crimes, and then they made it mandatory, the release from criminal liability. Okay, and then we commit, um, the committing the offenses of medium gravity would be uh, also up to the discretion of, uh, uh, of a judge or prosecutor. Later, 2010, 2011, minors, or are allowed to uh, reconcile if they committed a grave offense. So grave offense, this would be between five and uh, 12 years of imprisonment. Yeah? So that's a serious. Uh, and then this is about the uh, crimes committed by white collar crimes, yeah? crimes committed by officials. Yeah? As long as they are not corrupt, corruption related, but very often, um, these people would achieve, you know, like abuse of office, for example. That would be yeah, hidden corruption. And if you look here, this you, you don't need to look at all the graphs, but the idea is that the, the blue represents the all reconciled cases, and we see the steady increase up to 2013. Uh, just look at this graph. So the idea here is that 
prosecutors started to closing more cases uh, based on reconciliation than, uh, than judges somewhere in 2013. So this is the pre-trial stage now. We look at the decisions of procurators, prosecutors, uh, before trial. What to do with uh, crimes. As we can see uh, here, we see that the criminal cases go up. Yeah? This is number of, of, of crimes registered there, yeah? went up, we saw this all. Uh, what we see is the criminal cases sent to court slowly declining, and then the gray line represents the increase of criminal cases closed on reconciliation. The blue, uh, the yellow line here jumps up, it's because the, these are the cases without uh, the accused. In other words, police close, uses this exonerating grounds to close all the cases where there is no suspect, no accused. So this is, that's why it's... So 2016, if we look at the statistics, just look at the percentage, we see that prosecutors send more cases uh, I mean, send fewer cases to courts and much more cases they close based on reconciliation. Exoneration basically is not, a, is not an option. So clearly, the accused, a person who is accused of a crime uh, has much higher chances yeah, between the, uh, to reconcile, yeah, in other words, provide strong incentives for this person to reconcile rather than demand or insist on, or on uh, this person is not guilty. Okay? So more cases are reconciled. Then if you look at the trial level stage, so this is when judges decide after the four, uh, cases are sent to the, uh, from prosecutor to the judge. Again, we see the blue is the total number of cases. We see the declining number of cases, yeah, which is uh, understandable because more Prosecutors close more cases uh, before sending to judge. And if we look at the yellow and gray comparison, so gray is all cases that are closed by judges before se sentencing, without sentencing. And as we can see, most of them are closed based on the grounds of reconciliation with the victims. Again, it's uh, very popular. It's not clear why they are reaching the judge, the, the stage of trial, yeah? because they could have done, they could have reconciled it with, uh, with the uh, prosecutors yeah? before trial. Um, so the only explanation at this point is that they still, prosecutors are rewarded for the high number of cases actually sent to court. So this is a graph, the bars that again show the probability or the chances of being acquitted and exonerated at the trial stage, so by judges, versus the defendants who reconciled and were released from jails from uh, uh, before reaching the state, uh, sentencing stage. And so we can see that this is a huge, uh, it's a very uh, big difference, big difference. In other words, the first strategy of a person who is accused of a crime is try to get reconciliation, to reconcile with the victim. Okay, so 2016, again, we see that only six out of 10 persons that were on trial 
were uh, sentenced, yeah? and a quarter of them were uh, not sentenced, they were set free based on a reconciliation. Exoneration in 2016 is basically non-existent. So this reconciliation with the victims then creates in the public eyes, creates this image of impunity. And this is statistics for recidivism, for percentage of crimes com committed by persons with pre uh, previous criminal convictions. And we see that it's, at least for the economic crimes, it's very high. For theft, violent robbery or robbery, um, it's, uh, and so this, this creates that this, uh, either these uh, people, so they, they are not reintegrated back in the society, yeah? and they simply remain in their criminal uh, world. So the majority uh, of people and the re refuse yeah, to hire them or to, to make them occupied with non-criminal activities. And what's more uh, interesting is uh, that this reconciliation of victims uh, reinforces this impunity for offenders with high social status. So this impunity, of course, exists regardless of reconciliation. Yeah? It just it exists in any society. It's, all, it's a part of the inequality that we have in every uh, stratified, yeah? in, every uh, in every society. And so in Kazakhstan, just like in the uh, United States, most of uh, the people who are sentenced, yeah, uh, they are unemployed. So the criminal courts are you know, courts for the poor, basically. Um, the latest survey um, of, of uh, about criminal justice, public opinion survey by World Justice Project, which is, uh, I guess, one of those uh, organizations that measure, uh, measure the rule of law, uh, they found that um, Kazakhstan score, scores very low on the absence of discrimination in criminal justice. So here people will ask questions. If you, um, if you were a victim of a crime committed by you know, high, a government official or, uh, or a man or by a foreigner or by, yeah? And so they answered, they gave this answer and then they averaged these answers and they found that this is uh, uh, discrimination again, by the powerful against the weakest member of society exists. So public views the rich, the government officials, and men as able to escape criminal prosecution. And reconciliation is not a victim-centered. In other words, it simply simplifies the work of the law enforcement officials, because they don't need to prove anything. Yeah, they just say, okay, you reconcile, this will be enough to close the case. So in other words, they process the case. Uh, and the victim is very often uh, remains alone. Yeah? So here we see some kind of adverse, uh, perverse adversarialism or reverse adversarialism. Yeah? When investigators, judges, prosecutors are on the side of the accused, because yeah? they just want to get rid of the case, rather than they're actually paying attention to the victims. Uh, pain, emotions, harm, and uh, suffering. So reconciliation is, works is very simple. It's a basically half a page text 
that says I that the victim that the victim writes and says that I um, the harm that was uh, that was caused to me by this crime has been uh, it was made good. Um, I don't want to push any criminal charges anymore, um, and I wish to. I ask for to um, release this person from criminal proceedings. It doesn't involve any lawyer. It's so in front of the judge or the prosecutor or investigator. Then simply uh, this piece of paper appears, and the case um, um, case is uh, closed or dismissed. Okay. And so some of you who study, who are from Kazakhstan, may know about this. Uh, so-called major. Yeah? It's a group of people, of young people, usually men, who uh, are relatives of, of important people. Yeah? So they can, you know, they can violate all sorts of rules and they escape any kind of accountability. So this is exactly, this is the image of a son of a high government officials from Almaty who then worked on Expo and who was also con convicted of criminal of corruption of exponent. Uh, but he was uh, driving a big uh, his SUV while drunk at after uh, you know drink drinking uh, party at night and he he uh, hit uh, six pedestrians on the intersection and one of these pedestrians died so his father then quickly found a father of the of the of the boy who was killed and even though that father divorced and has never seen that boy uh, in uh, like 15 or 16 years, um, and they paid this person, uh, paid this father money, and then the case was closed. So a few months after that, um, they, they, so again he was found guilty of something, and again they, he, he escaped criminal responsibility based on that. And then the third violation he committed, that the uh, police arrested him for possessing marijuana in a matchbox and he claimed that that, <laughs> that somehow he walked on the street and that, that matchbox jumped on him. <laughs> so it was a very but he never he never he never was uh, found uh, uh, guilty or something. So this again creates this idea. You will imagine in the public eyes of impunity. And just a month ago in Kazakhstan, there was a, um, they started the big flash mob, if you can say, or some kind of collective action against uh, using or abolishing the reconciliation in the rape cases. Because this is a very uh, sensitive issue because, uh, first of all, victims are discouraged, strongly discouraged from reporting about it because of social values. Um, second of all, um, once they bring the case to the police, police usually um, delays investigation uh, and waits until the victim uh, takes back the complaint. And when police, uh, when the victim insists and keeps the complaint uh, and, and demands investigation, then the, uh, the, the suspect, the, the accused, offers uh, uh, her money as a compensation. So, uh, in exchange for uh, reconciliation. Once she agrees to this compensation, this accused person usually then blackmails her and, and tells everyone that she is actually using him just to milk him, yeah? to take his money, and in reality, so she's a bad person and so forth. 
So this uh, practice of reconciliation, which is, was, uh, uh, is harms uh, the victim uh, of, of sexual assault, uh, is very, uh, very serious. And so finally, um, this is one of the uh, killers of Denis Ten, of the figure skater that I talked about in the beginning. So he was three times uh, prior to this uh, stabbing, he was uh, released from criminal uh, punishment, from criminal liability, because he always reconciled with the victim. And, uh, um, and two, twice uh, before. The other stabber was also released uh, from criminal punishment for his crimes uh, in the past based on uh, uh, reconciliation. So in conclusion, I would argue that all the uh, many new legal innovations or legal reforms, they make a difference or they get stuck uh, or they work only when they reflect or match or fit uh, the power map in the ground, meaning in state and uh, in the society. So it reduces prison population while uh, making police register more criminal cases and finding the offenders. It humanizes criminal justice, yeah? Because Kazakhstani prisons, just like Russian prisons, they are, these are dangerous places for life and uh, of many people. But it's it's not clear whether it prevents uh, released defendants from committing, uh, from reoffending. It makes the job of investigators, prosecutors, and judges of everyone in law enforcement system much easier. They secure criminal record of the defendant, so they put a check mark that they solve the case, that the uh, person is uh, identified and carried some kind of responsibility, but they do this all at the least cost. Yeah? They don't need, they simply need to. And then it creates this perverse adversarialism when police officers, prosecutors, or judges, they work on the side of the defendant because they just want to get this case uh, out and they pers persuade uh, the victim uh, to, uh, to reconcile. So it allows much more autonomy to private actors. To the defendant, of course, it's a lot of autonomy because defendant is guaranteed a guilty sentence. Yeah? It's exoneration, it's basically out of the question. And it allows much more autonomy to the victim. Victim gets comp compensation quickly, but it's, uh, it depends yeah? on, the, on, the, uh, on the amount and on the negotiating skills on the, and on the other side. Yeah? Um, and it reinforces the social inequality because it allows the defendants with higher social status uh, escape uh, accountability, escape liability, escape responsibility, and so that in the future they uh, think, you know, they, they may face no risks or no negative sanctions for committing uh, crimes. So here, uh, this is it. Uh, so if you have any questions, please um, ask. Thank you.